the title of this morning's message is an enduring faith, an enduring faith. So let's, uh, let's all come to our feet and we're going to read these few verses here. Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, as we see the example here of a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician, one who is despised by the Jews and one who despised her people, despised the Jews themselves. And they, they just had a hatred toward one another yet not for Jesus. For Jesus, he went to this area for the express purpose of meeting with this woman. And within this woman, we see this faith that endures, uh, one that stands fast in the face of opposition, of testing. And I know that most, if not all of us, have at some point experienced this very same thing. Lord, either are dealing with, have dealt with, or will deal with a situation where we are crying out to you for help, for mercy. And we too maybe feel that there's silence, there's a turning away, or even the feeling that we are of no value. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people this morning. Knowing that, Lord, it's a, a faith that is expressed that is pleasing to you. That, Lord, even at times like this, you're still interested in us. You still want to incline your ear and listen and, and help us. Father, but sometimes our faith is tested. And so, Lord, encourage us this morning, Father. Show us what it is that you would have us to see and understand and apply to our lives today. That it may serve us not only today, but for the coming days and years in all situations. And so we commit this morning into your hands, Father. We thank you for it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So, who doesn't desire a faith that endures? Right? Everyone desires a faith that endures, a faith that lasts, a faith that remains in existence within us no matter what comes our way, no matter what we go through. But 
That also, by the way, implies that we will experience something painful, a suffering, a heavy load that even then, as we sometimes wane and weaken under it, it will endure. That is our faith in the Lord. Why, why would faith endure? And that's really the question that we need to answer for us. Why, what kind of a faith would endure suffering, pain, uh, heavy loads in our lives, these really diffi- difficult experiences? The only way that faith will endure is if we know beyond a shadow of a doubt who God is in our lives. What his character is. His trustworthiness. His, his faithfulness toward us. That is when our faith will endure in difficult times. Not what we've made him up to be. That's not a faith at all. Not just taking, taking what someone else has said about him and believe that because both of those ways, both, both of those ways of thinking will fail us because they're empty. They're, they have no good solid foundation. We must come to know because the word says so. And we believe it to be so. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I love what it says in Romans 10, 17. It's very, it's very simple. And this is true. This is how faith comes. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What is that? Faith is built up by the very book that you hold in your hands right now. That's how faith is built up. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 6 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you see it, well, then it doesn't have to be faith, right? And verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This morning we've come to the story of this Syrophoenician, this Canaanite woman that comes from the area of Tyre and Sidon along the coast of the Mediterranean. She is full of faith and has come to Jesus on behalf of her daughter, She is, as we've read, interceding on behalf of her daughter. She's crying out to Jesus in pleading for mercy. This is a story of a mother who is desperate for her child. And in her encounter with Jesus, she demonstrates this unfading, this unyielding, tenacious faith that would serve us well to possess such an enduring faith. The question is, do you possess a faith that stands firm in hope, in a hope that comes from the word of God? A hope that is just secured in the very word of God. That when the winds of testing, suffering, pain, sorrows descend upon it, it doesn't wane, it doesn't wither away, it doesn't break down, it remains. God desires to prove this faith within each and every one of you. For with it, you not only endure, but you are hopeful. 
See, hope, hope is what gives us life. You know, in the midst of trial, situations, suffering, pain, all of that, if we have hope, then that's what gives us life. We may not be happy about what we're going through. It may be extremely difficult, but there's this inner joy that nothing and no one and no situation can take away from us. Not only will that hope serve you, but I'm telling you that that hope serves so many other people around you. When they see that expressed in your life, it's contagious. It's like, how? they'll ask the question, how is it that you're doing it? I know what you're going through. I know the things that you're experiencing. I know the heaviness, the burden. I can see it. And at the, at the same time, I see this joy that it can't take away. What is it? It all reflects the strength of the Lord in our weakness, and it brings him glory. So let's first take a look at this plea of mercy, this plea for mercy from this woman. Verse 21 says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Oh, the cries of a mother. Coming to find help for her daughter. We know that Jesus was in the area of Galilee between Capernaum and Magdala. And from there, he traveled about 50, 60 miles northwest toward the Mediterranean, toward this area. This is an area, by the way, that uh, was occupied by the Canaanites, by the Syrophoenicians. Uh, this, this was, uh, in fact, the, the Canaanites. You know who the Canaanites are. I mean, if you go back to in history with the Jews, um, the Canaanites were the very enemies of Israel. And so they were the ones who came up against Israel. And so that didn't... At this point, they were still very much against each other. They were enemies even in that day, very much so. So this was not a friendly place to travel to. The Syrophoenician people were Canaanites, the enemies of Israel. But then again, Jesus wasn't really welcomed in his hometown either, was he? You know the encounters that he had with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders of that day? He was, he was always confronted by them. It wasn't really welcome there either. So this was something very unexpected, very unlikely for a Jew to go toward people they despised and that despised them very, very much. Keep in mind that there is nothing else that Jesus did in this area. Also, as, as we go into this time, from there, he leaves. This is all he does. The woman's request is very simple. She's crying out to him, have mercy on me. I think that we can all say that this would be an expected action taken by a mother on behalf, on behalf of her daughter who is experiencing uh, being oppressed by a demon. We're, we're not told exactly how it is that this is, uh, uh, this is being revealed, how this is being manifested. But what is a fact is that this young girl was being oppressed 
by a demon. But just on the surface, that's taking a lot of things for granted. Just, to, you know, this is the response. This is what any, any mother would do for her daughter. Uh, we need to take a look a little bit deeper into this situation to see a few things that I think are noteworthy, things that would serve us well, and why I believe this story is in the Bible. Number one, the woman came to Jesus because she was confident that Jesus had the power, authority, and ability to help. Number two, the woman addressed Jesus as, number one, Lord. Number two, the son of David. This is very significant because this means she knew exactly who he was. To refer to Jesus as Lord is one thing. You know, as master, as teacher, as rabbi. But then she referred to him as the son of David, which means that she was referring to him as Messiah, the anointed one. Just as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's like this woman was saying the very same thing as, as she acknowledged him as the son of David. He is the one that was prophesied about. He is the one who is before me. He's the one who is able to, if anyone else, out of anyone else, no other can, he can pour his mercy out upon my daughter. He is able Number three, the woman was personally burdened by her daughter's burden. This is a wonderful picture of a great intercessor. This is what it is. The woman came to Jesus with a burden that was her own. Notice that she said, have mercy on, on me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She took this burden upon herself. She, she took possession of it as if it was her own. This woman was asking that Jesus would relieve her burden by delivering her daughter's burden of being demon oppressed. Now, for the child of God, for those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, um, He is your Savior, He is your Lord. Know that there is no way that a demon can possess you. You are possessed by the Spirit of God. I know sometimes in the church, we're, you know, I, and I hear it. Oh, there's uh, this spirit indwelling uh, you. We need to cast him out. There's this, this other spirit uh, of, of the devil and we need to cast him out. Well, no, we don't need to cast out anything out from you except for perhaps the power that the flesh is being allowed to have on you. That, that's it. But you are possessed, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But what the devil can do, what the demons can do, is oppress you. They can really wreak havoc as far as that's concerned, and that is real. Spiritual war warfare is real. And so we know that this girl was being oppressed. That's a word that is used here, being oppressed, not possessed by this demon. And it's being manifested in some way. Now, mercy is basically this. It's not receiving what you deserve. And that's what this woman was asking for. Have mercy on me. Please, don't give me what I deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. 
Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. So that's what she was asking for, for mercy. This, wasn't, this woman wasn't demanding anything from Jesus. She wasn't coming to demand anything. You know, she wasn't naming and claiming in the name of Jesus. She understood that she did not deserve anything and was pleading that she would be relieved of this burden of hers by delivering her daughter from this torturous condition. I, I love this. Because as, as she pled with the Lord, you know, sometimes we feel like we deserve something. We feel entitled. In fact, this, I wouldn't even say, I, you know, sometimes we refer to the younger generation as feeling like they're entitled. I think this world... I deal with a lot of adults that feel entitled. You know? Every age, I feel like you owe me something, right? And we do that with the Lord. We're like, hey, it says here this, and so therefore, give it to me. Right? And that's a mentality. That's because we feel like we're entitled. Like, hey, this is what I should be getting. And I love this picture because this woman didn't feel entitled. There's no entitlement. She's simply asking for mercy. That is knowing who God is and who she is not before him. You know, I, I don't know many people who simply just cry out to the Lord in this fashion anymore. You know, you, you worship and you pray and, and seek Him, but someone, well, the Bible tells us a broken and contrite heart, oh God, these you will not despise, you will not turn away from. A broken heart before Him. When was the last time you were broken before Him? Crying out to Him. Pleading with Him. Asking for mercy. We ought to do that. We ought to do it often because we're really deserving of nothing less than condemnation and forever being separated from him. But in Christ, in Christ, we've been given this indescribable gift of grace, of eternal life with him, of being forgiven of all our sins. That's, that's amazing. The psalmist said in Psalm 8, Three and four, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Think about that, just that state of mind, that, that heart that the psalmist is expressing here, and the son of man that you care for him, that, that you even incline your ear to us, that you pay attention to us. Who is man that you are mindful of him? James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James is referring to Proverbs chapter, chapter 3, verse 34. And this woman was pleading for mercy. That's all she was doing. She was pleading for mercy. A humble request with full knowledge and confidence who she was asking. Who she was asking. But then we have this peculiar response from Jesus. Here's this, this, this woman, this mother, pouring her heart out to Jesus, crying out to him, pleading with him. And then we have this response, verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. Not one word. 
That was his response. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God desires mercy over judgment. And mercy more than sacrifice. Uh, you can jot down Hosea 6.6 6 and Matthew 9.13. On reference to that. And this is why Jesus' response, no doubt... As we, as we know, Scripture and his disciples were there. Just keep this in mind. His disciples were with him. And they're, they're kind of expecting this. You know, they're Jewish. They're his disciples. There's this wonderful hatred that's shared between the Syrophoenician people, the Gentiles, the Canaanites, in the Jews, so they kind of expect this. She pleads with them, and Jesus just ignores her, doesn't answer her. Wow. She was literally, as the scripture tells us, she was crying. She was crying. She was interceding. She was pleading. <clears throat> Address Jesus for who he was. She was doctrinally correct. She did not demand. Everything seemed to be right. So why did Jesus ignore her? Here's his second response. As his disciples came and begged with him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. Verse 24, here's his second response. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, Go away. Oh my gosh. You know what? What's going on, right? Not only that, but Jesus didn't even speak directly to her. First, first he didn't speak to her. And then second, when his disciples came to him, sent her away, he just speaks to them. She's right there. Imagine that. He responds to his disciples when apparently they're now begging him to send her away. Her pleading is perhaps getting on their nerves. It's kind of irritating to them. Jesus agreed with the disciples with their request to send her away, saying that he didn't come but for the house of Israel. But keep in mind, he had healed Gentiles as they came to him. You remember they came to him for healing and he did He did heal many people, the blind, the mute, the lame. He had already healed many. Here's the third response. Look at verse 26 with me. She said, as Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, "Uh, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat crumbs, the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Her response, or his, his response was, you're lowly. You're lowly. This means that Jesus was referencing her as being low in status, low in importance. It was common for the Jews actually to refer to the Gentiles as dogs. 
But what we see here, the word that was used by Jesus toward her was not the same word. Not, you're a dog. Like a stray dog, like a wild dog. Like just, because it was very, a, a very derogatory term. It's like saying you're, you're trash. He wasn't using that term. He was using a word that would refer to her as a little dog as what we would know today as your pet dog. One that would be commonly found within the home, uh, perhaps had a name, and was around the family. And it was very common, as it is now, that if crumbs fall off the table, who are the first ones to clean the floor? The little dogs, right? Our pets. At least they do in our house, you know. Food goes off, and they look intently. Oh, man, I have to get out of the kitchen. You know, I have to tell them all the time. Get <laughs> and they're there. But, but when we do, do drop something, it's like, hey, Riley, come on. And they clean it right up, right? But this is not, this is the term that Jesus was using to refer to her. Perhaps to soften uh, the actual terminology that's commonly used, was commonly used by the Jews toward the Gentiles. But man, oh man, what would you do? If you were making an emotional plea to someone and they ignored you, number one, they, they ignored you. They didn't even say a word to you. And then when they did say something, they, did, they didn't say it to you directly. What would you do? And then thirdly, uh, it was like, I don't know if I could take that as an insult, right? Or what? But you just called me a little dog. Well, we need to look at her response to understand where it is that the Lord is taking this. So we need to be reminded, in all of this, Jesus did not sin. And I hope at this time that, that you're thinking about how it is that perhaps sometimes we feel entitled and we're demanding an answer and perhaps we're hearing a lot of silence. We, um, we perhaps feel like we're ignored and even feel like we, we have little importance or value before the Lord. And you know, sometimes what happens is we start running to other places, to other things to find relief. We need to learn from this enduring faith of this woman. Pay close attention because th these are all things that are common to you and I. These feelings, no doubt, that you have felt are being felt by this woman who is pleading, crying out to Jesus for mercy for her daughter. These are the things that she felt and she experienced personally in front of the Lord, the son of David. The woman's response to Jesus, verses 23 through 27, the same verses here. We see in verse 23, but he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. Well, this was her response to his silence. And she requested for others who knew Jesus for help. She reached out. This woman had a legitimate need. Her daughter was oppressed by a demon. And there was absolutely no response from Jesus, and so she kept asking she even annoyed them. She irritated them. 
She was getting on their nerves, right? She turned to his living disciples to perhaps help in this situation. I say living because it's the living that could join you in prayer, not the dead. They're dead, right? Okay? So that's, there's a difference between asking our friends, our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ, and, and, and anyone else. Any, anyone who has uh, gone home to be with the Lord, they're home. We only have one intercessor, and that is Jesus Christ. He's our intercessor. But what'd she do? She turned around and asked for help. She was, she was crying out. She wouldn't let up. She wouldn't let up. She had cried to Jesus, and now she was crying out after them. And they did the right thing. We need to notice this, too. In deflecting this request and deferring it to Jesus. That's what they did. That's a good lesson for us. But they were definitely irritated and asked Jesus to send her away. This was their request. Now they're interceding on her behalf, too. Send her away. We don't know, actually, by the text, whether they're implying you know what, just do what she's asking you to do and send her away. It, it, it's, not, it's not straight here. I know some commentators um, are kind of dogmatic in that to, way, to where they're saying, hey, you know what, just uh, take care of her issue and send her away or send, just send her away. Don't go away mad, just go away, right? <clears throat> but for us, this response is much like what we would know as a prayer request. We're asking a lot of people. You know what? This is a heavy situation. And I want to ask all of you to join me in prayer to focus in on this one situation, this one person who is in desperate need. It's my burden. And I just can't stop thinking about it. It's something that the Lord has really burdened me with and it's my burden too. Guys, help me pray for this, for this person. Secondly, a response to Jesus' dismissal. So number one, corporate prayer. Come, come, be, uh, come next to me. Come alongside me and pray. Number two, uh, worship. Look at verse 25. After being ignored, after having the disciples uh, want her to go away, verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Wasn't it Jacob that wrestled with God and he clung to him? He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Well, he blessed him, but he also popped his hip out of place and he was reminded every time he went somewhere that, that God, you know, blessed him. He wrestled with God and he was, he was blessed, but it was a reminder. It was a reminder. Her response is very humble. It's humbling. It's humiliating in front of others who, you know, didn't see it the way she saw it. They were asking her to go for Jesus, send her away. You have the authority, send her down the road. She didn't listen to any of that. Even Jesus, when he responded the way he did, she just kept coming. When she knew silence from Jesus, she kept asking, crying out, and even going to those who were Jesus' disciples for help. 
When she knew a dismissal from the people and what appeared to be indifference from Jesus, she fell to her knees and worshipped and cried out to him, Lord, help me. A lesson for us again. Silence. We're asking for prayer. Nothing yet. What do you do? Give up? Say, well, I guess this isn't the Lord's will, you know, and no. We, we fall on our faces before the Lord and we continue to pray. Pleading with Him. This is what it looks like to intercede. To worship, to cry out to, to fall before and stand in the gap for those that are in need of help and mercy. This is what it looks like. Nothing was holding her back and she was persistent because she knew whom she was before. She was still in his presence. Still in his presence. Thirdly, her response to Jesus' statement of her position. You are lowly. Check this out. Verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You are lowly. I know. How many of us, if, if we were told, you are lowly, we would say, I, I know. I know. I, I'm not, I'm, I won't make myself to be anything that I'm not. I'd only be fooling myself. A lot of us, especially, especially today, right? It, it's a whole self me gen, selfie generation. So where it's like, where it's like, it's all about us, right? It is. Um, we promote ourselves. We do, you know. I don't know. It's this love hate relationship with social media. Um, I know that it can be used as a tool. I know that, and, and I, I try and use it as much as I can as a tool um, to proclaim the gospel and all of that. Um, and, and then at the, uh, on the other side of it, you know, I, it's like sharing pictures, right? It's like, this is my family, this is kind of what we're doing, and I don't know, it's like this love-hate, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. But I guess if it's not on Facebook, Twitter, uh, any any of the other, then it didn't happen. That's what I hear, right? <laughs> right? But really, we live in a very prideful time, very self-centered. And so we need to get to that place to where we know. We, we know that we're undeserving of anything good. So when Jesus told her this, she simply said, I know. Yet, hey, if you drop some crumbs, that's good for me. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Even when Jesus implied that she was like a little pet dog, she didn't get angry. What would your response be? She simply agreed. I agree. She basically said, I'll take the leftovers. I'll take whatever falls to the ground. I'll take whatever you give me or others don't want. Whatever falls off your table is good enough for me. Whatever it is. I don't care what it is. I'll be right there. I'll, 
I'll be cleaning it up. It's good if it's coming from your table. It was this, it, it was with this that Jesus turned to her and answered her with these words. Verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire, as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Healed at that very hour. It's done. What a statement made by Jesus. By the way, he, he said that to no one else. Just this woman. What a statement just to her. A woman, great is your faith. A faith that endures. Her faith endured what I would believe was a test of the sincerity of her faith for her. And a lesson, keep in mind, his disciples were with him. It was also a lesson for his disciples. It would do them very good to know this kind of faith. A faith that endures that no matter what comes, whatever testing, whatever opposition, whatever, it doesn't matter. I have the Lord before me. I know he is able, and I'm going to simply continue to plead before him. So no doubt, it was also a lesson for his disciples. So my question, and it should be a question that we've had throughout do, do we possess a faith that stands firm in a hope that comes from the word of God? Because remember, this, this, was, this was the Lord that was testing her faith. That was testing her sincerity. He, by the way, already knew that she had this faith. That's why I totally believe that this was, this was a beautiful lesson for the disciples and also for her to know she possessed this faith. Keep going. Keep going, daughter. I won't call you a little dog. I'll call you woman. Right? It was, it was a very respectful term. Very honoring term. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, it's daughter. Son. I believe that this was something that was revealed to her. I, I do have a faith. I, knew, I know exactly who you are. You are the son of David. You are my Lord. I have complete faith in you. And I will be relentless in pursuing mercy from you and you alone. I will seek to employ the prayers of my brothers and sisters for my needs and the needs of others. That we would be intercessors. That we would stand in the gap. And others' burdens will become our burdens. We will never stop. We will never quit. We will never let down. We'll keep going. Because we know that we are before God himself. Do you believe that? That when the winds of testing, suffering, pain, and sorrows descend upon you, does your faith remain? Because God desires to prove this kind of faith within you. He wants that to come to the surface. That when things like that come your way, that you go through and you persevere and no matter even what the answers are, you still acknowledge him. You are sovereign God and you are good. Salvation is really 
all that we could ever hope for. Anything beyond that is just icing on the cake. And then learning to come to him and trust him and worship him no matter what we face, what we're faced with in our lives. This kind of hope, this kind of faith, not only does it stir us up, it glorifies our Lord and it stirs others up. It increases their faith. Again, Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Have you received faith? Have you been encouraged this morning by this story of this, this woman who was relentless before the Lord? I hope you were. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6, I want to tell you again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you have something that's distressing you? Are you praying and perhaps could share the same feelings and emotions that this woman may have felt, knowing that Jesus was silent, seemingly indifferent, and even feeling like you're insignificant? Keep praying. Keep asking your brothers and sisters in Christ to join you in praying. Keep worshiping the Lord. Keep in fellowship. Remain humble before the Lord. And no matter what the answer is, an enduring faith remains hopeful and knows that God is sovereign regardless of what happens because our faith and hope rest in the Lord alone. Don't ever give up. I pray this morning that whoever is going through perhaps difficult time, a difficult time, that you would cry out to the Lord. Brother, sister, I know there, there's no, we could come alongside you like these disciples. We, we could come alongside you and we could pray for you. We could pray with you. Um, we can cry with you. Um, we could plead with the Lord with you. But he is the only one who could bring hope, who could give you that peace which surpasses all understanding. He's the one who is perfectly trustworthy. He is faithful and he desires to draw near. The word tells us as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. May you know his presence. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He loves you with an everlasting love. No matter what you're going through, he desires to be there with you and help you along. Allow him to do that. Have an enduring faith and trust in him. I, I also don't want to leave this morning without giving you an opportunity that if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Because Jesus didn't come just to, to heal, to you know, do all of those things. He did so to express and for people to know that he was the son of David. He is the son of God. He has that authority and power. But ultimately, he came to seek and save the lost. All of us has fallen, have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid for our sins, past, present, and future. And to the one who cries out to Jesus and asks him for forgiveness and for him to be Lord and Savior, in the moment 
You do that with all genuineness and sincerity. He wants to, desires to forgive you. He desires to forgive you and for you to become his. And he says that at that moment, he will, your sins will be cast away from you and they will be removed from you. And as far as the east is from the west, your sins will be from you. He will make you clean before the Lord, before the Father, in the righteousness of the Son. All you need to know at this point is Jesus saves. He loves you. And he desires for you to seek him as Lord and Savior. And I pray that in your seat this morning as we close in prayer, that if that's you, that if you need forgiveness of your sins and you need to ask the Lord to be your, or that Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that this would be the day of salvation and you cry out to him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the offer of salvation. We know that there is no other name under heaven given, given among men by which we must be saved. We know that you, Lord Jesus, as you said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, that today would be, a, a, this moment right now would be a, a moment to where we recognize, we acknowledge, we believe, and we surrender our lives to you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for uh, giving us the, the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ of heaven. We thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. And I pray, Lord, that for anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. For us as a church, Father, I know that many are experiencing different uh, things that are uh, very heavy and painful. There's suffering. There's different things that are happening. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be as this, this woman, Lord, that we would have an enduring faith, that we would continue to seek you and you alone, and that we would come alongside each other and uh, be a source of strength and encouragement uh, to make it and to persevere and to endure in a way that you are glorified. And so, Father, we, uh, we are certainly thankful for your love. We just give you all the praise and honor, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.